Well, thanks. Um, it's always fun to get up at this point in the service. Um, this is usually when I sit down. Um, and so it's fun to be here this morning, and it's fun to, to just have this opportunity. And we're in this book of Romans, and it, it, can, it can be a little intimidating. And honestly, as I grew up and when I was just a young believer, um, I kind of avoided it because it made me feel bad. <laughs> like, I'd read it, and I'd go, Ugh. <laughs> First, I don't understand it. It's so heavy. There's so many things that are like rules. But as I've been sitting in this and studying this and preparing for this, um, I, I do want to say it's Ian's fault that we're in Romans. He is the one that chose it. But it's forced me <laughs> to be in it myself. And you know what I've found is that I had a lot of things wrong. It's really a thing of beauty when we get down into it and we begin to understand it and we unpack it, it's really a, a book of beauty. And we call it a book, and I would love to remind us that actually this is a letter written from Paul's heart to a group of believers in Rome. And the believers consisted of both Jewish believers, so people that had come from the Jewish faith and the Jewish nation, and as well as the Gentiles, those that were not of the Jewish faith, that were outside of the Jewish chosen people. And, and he realizes that when they come together, there's going to be disagreements. <laughs> there's going to be some things that they got to work through. There's going to be some things that they see differently. And so over and over and over and over, you hear this theme of unity. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we do, I just want you to know that one of the things that's been really on my heart as I've been studying is I think I have just a little bit better picture of how much Paul loved these people. He loved them. He loved them. He loved them. And I can say to you this morning, Bruce City, I have such affection for you, and I think I'd get just a glimpse of Paul's heart in that. And I want us to get this. I want us to figure out this walking together and walking with God because he loves us and he wants us to get it and he also has work for us to do. And you know, this week, um, I was thinking about all these Cation words, right? We've been hearing a lot about Cation words like sanctification and justification and glorification. And last week, Friday, I said, I need a vacation <laughs> from all of these words. And so I took a vacation day. I took a day off, and I went up north, and I went to spend some time out on the lake with my brother and his family. They have two speedboats in their family now, which speedboats are better than sailboats. Sorry for you that like sailboats, but you can go slow in a speedboat, but you cannot go fast in a sailboat. And so I love being out on the water, and I love the lakes, and, and it was just, it's one of my go-to places. It makes me very happy. And so we're on our way up there, and we have this cool thing now called Amazon Prime Music, where you stream your music, right? And you can listen to whatever you want. You don't even have to have a CD. It's so cool, right? And so we're up, we're going up, and I'm checking out all these different things on my streaming. And I found this old-school Christian rock stuff that I started listening to, like, when I was in youth group age, and maybe even before that, because I had older brothers, so I got to go to concerts and do things and and be a part of some things when I was like in fourth grade, in fifth grade, when you weren't supposed to be able to go to that. And anyways, I listened to this music a lot. 
So I knew it really well. And I put this old school stuff on, and I'm singing along, and I knew every single word. It was awesome. Because remember last, a few weeks ago, I said I really suck at, like, trying to memorize things? It's amazing when you put it to music how fast you can memorize it. So I'm singing along, and a song ends, and it was a really good song. Like, musically, it was an awesome song. Like, the band was tight. They were awesome. But I looked over at Randy and went, this is terrible. It was like the most depressing story. All it did was remind me of how evil I am and how bad I am and how Jesus is dead because of me. And like, I just, it was horrible. And I just, I looked over at him. I'm like, what were we thinking that this was good? And so it reminded me of this sanctification thing, this process of salvation, this growth process that we find ourselves in. And we we sometimes we can remember a date when we said yes to that, and sometimes we can't. It's just a process that's always been kind of active in our lives. And it's the sanctification, it's this process that goes on. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought me in my process to a fuller understanding of who you are. Because, boy, was that truncated. <laughs> and I don't think you wanted me to walk around feeling like I was a worm and that somehow you hated me because this is what had to happen because of me. And it encouraged my heart that there has been growth. And so this morning we're in Romans 10, and like I said, Romans can sometimes feel heavy, and it can sometimes seem like a lot. And even last week when Kyle was introducing the, just the service and stuff and doing communion, I think, and he talked about the fact that Romans 9, 10, and 11 are often looked at as some of the most controversial, divisive books in all of the Bible. And I was like, and great, I get to do the middle one. And so, um, yeah, I kind of was feeling that weight a little bit, um, even as I was studying throughout these weeks. And I was thinking, what is so divisive about this? Why do we allow this to creep in and begin to divide walls between us? And you see, Paul was so wanting unity in the body at this point, he's talking to believers. He's talking to those religious people. And he's specifically bringing up some things that the Israelites, the Jewish people, would have gone, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that before. And he's going, and we got some things wrong. And we take some things and we put them as weights on people. And so we're going to explore a little bit about that. But above and beyond all, unity was on the heart of Paul, unity for this group of believers there in Rome, believers he hadn't met yet, he hadn't actually gone and spent time with them. He's actually writing this letter from Corinth in about AD 57, and he's, um, he's speaking with such affection because he knows the heart of these people. He knows that he's been called to the Gentile people, and he knows that he also has great affection for his very own people, the Jewish people that he comes from. And Paul was a, he was a dude. <laughs> like, he was a heavy-duty Jewish guy. He was a Pharisee. He knew stuff. He knew the word. He knew, he knew the Old Testament. He could quote it. He would, he would actually, like, chase after people that were corrupting it and, and sometimes severely deal with them. And then he has this radical encounter on a Damascus road and this, this monotheistic Jewish guy who is zealous, <laughs> who has a passion for truth and for, for understanding who this one true God is, he has this encounter and he's blinded. 
and he hears a voice, and the voice says, Paul, Saul, at that point before his name was changed, but why are you persecuting me? And he's going, who are you? I'm not persecuting you. I'm trying to keep everything pure. And he said, you're persecuting me. I'm Jesus, and you're persecuting me. And Paul's like, well, no, I'm persecuting the people that said they were following you. And his eyes and mind begin to shift. And I don't know all the hows and whys that happened. I don't know at what precise moment, second, that was. But I believe that Paul began to have a bigger picture of this one true God. And this one true God was saying, I'm actually a triune God and I'm personified in Jesus, and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to get this, and you're going to make people understand and help people understand that I am for everyone, that I am for everyone. And he has this weight on his heart for his Jewish friends. And so here we go in this, this book, and Paul is, he's just given a pretty strong word. Ian talked about it last week, about what faith is, and the fact that the Jewish people really weren't getting it, and he was frustrated, and he's like, even if I could give my very life for you to get this, I would do that. And I think the Holy Spirit might have whispered to him and gone, and that really wouldn't accomplish what you think it would. But he longs for them to get it. He longs for the religious people of his day to get it, this religious elite, this Jew, these Jewish followers who are now sitting in the company of Gentile followers, Gentile believers. And he's like, people, we gotta get along. We gotta figure this out. And so he starts, and let's read um, verses one through four of chapter 10 of Romans. That's where we're gonna pick up today. And I'll try and read it out of here. I also have it on my computer because I have the full Beyonce fans going because Ian likes to sweat and dab his head and be the Southern preacher type, and I think that's gross. So I'm going to try my best not to sweat, and so I'm going to stand here with this. So I have it here and here, just in case this starts flying too much. But let's start in Romans 10. It says here, brothers, and you could add my ancestors, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, and the them here he's talking about is the Jewish people, the Jewish people that aren't yet believers. My heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation, for them to get what's been revealed to me, for them to understand that this one true God is this beautiful triune God. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God. He can testify because he was one, <laughs> and he is one. He was zealous. He had all sorts of zeal for God. But it says, but not according to knowledge, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, and they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so as I already said, he, he's saying, I get it. I get their zeal. I get how passionate they are. But this is the thing. They have it all backward. And they're trying to get to God on their own accord. And they're trying to get to God by keeping all these laws. Ian's been talking about like 613 laws. That's nuts. That's a lot. And he's going, oh, they're not getting it. They're, seeing, they're thinking they can somehow earn this. 
and they can get to him somehow on their terms, and what they don't get is they're still far from him. They think they're getting closer, and they're actually far from him, and it's breaking his heart. He has such affection for him. And they're also not getting that, that this understanding then starts a process of sanctification. Ian's been talking about it a lot. That changing of who we are and the way we think and how we approach life. And you know, as we read scripture, it's always interesting to me that we can take this ancient book of all these different books, this ancient library, and oftentimes we can think, oh, why did these people just not get it? Come on. Like seriously, 613 laws, like anybody can figure out that's not going to be easy, right? But as we dig into it and we see our finger doing, what, what's wrong with them and what's wrong with them, we begin to see ourselves revealed in it, don't we? And that's the beauty of this book. And in verse 4 he says, for Christ, and it could also be read the, the Christ or the Messiah, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so often we take that verse and we take that word especially, the end. For Christ is the end. And where would, what do we think of when we think of an end? We think of termination, right? It ends here. This is where it's done. The law is done here. And actually what it's saying here is that, no, you're missing the point. The end is not the termination. It's actually the culmination. It's the fulfillment of everything that the scriptures have pointed to. That's what the Christ reveals. Not the end of just the, the law, but the law is actually pointed and has been pointing all along to the fullness of God revealed in this Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. And now you're getting under, Paul's God understanding and the believers are beginning to understand it and he has, still has such concern and affection for those that aren't. And so everything pointed to Jesus, and it included everyone, not just the elite. And so let's look at verses 5 through 8, because um, it's almost as if Paul can anticipate their rebuttal. <laughs> like, I'm going to say this, and then you're going to say that. And the reason I said before how much I love that this is actually a letter that's written, we read it as a book, and we've been going through it, for many, many weeks, there's 16 chapters, and we've been taking about one a week and, and working our way through that. That's not how this would have been read. This would have been read in its entirety, probably to a small group. The church in Rome probably didn't gather like this, like in one big room with everybody. It probably met in about four or five different house churches. And somebody was sent with this letter, and a lot of the scholars I studied actually said that it probably was Dorcas, which was a woman. And when they would go, they would go to these home churches or house churches, and they would read the entire letter. And then, my guess is, there'd be questions, right? And the scholars say that these people that, that were empowered to take the letter, the person sending them would have trusted them to answer the questions to wrestle with it, to pray with people, to say, like, God, we want that kind of understanding. We're messing this up. And they would have had interaction about it. And so it probably wasn't just one person standing up here, doing a sermon, having you go home and wrestle with it there. You would have wrestled with it in community. And so my hope is that you'll do that. You'll find those people. 
And this morning, we're going to do things a little different. When the girls are in charge, we switch things up a little bit. And so we're going to do that a little bit, and we're going to have some time to wrestle with some things. And just as Abby just introduced the service so beautifully, I hope that you'll take the time to seek the face of God in it and that you'll wrestle through it, that you won't just hear it and go from here and then come back next week for, you know, next chapter, but that we'll actually wrestle with it. But here we are, and Moses is being quoted by Paul because Paul's anticipating what some of their questions would be. Questions like, well, when did we know this? How did, how did we hear this? Like, we're, like, you're saying that they should know these things, but when? How was it ever told to them? And it says in verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. So Paul is hearkening back to the words of Moses who are already pointing to the fact that one day you won't have to go to the temple to meet with God. You won't have to go anywhere to meet with him because he will be as close as your mouth, the tongue in your mouth, the heart in your chest. He even says that his word is written on our hearts. It's that close. And that's going to be fulfilled when the Holy Spirit comes in all its fullness and reveals that. And he's already pointing to that. But I read this and I was like, what? I don't know. Have you guys ever seen that Amber? Amber says what? When she's like, say what? And then they talk about all these different things. I kind of felt like Amber this week going, say what? Because I was like, wait, going up to hell, going what is he talking about? And as I read different scholars and I, I studied it more and more, I realized Moses was already pointing to the triune God, to the fulfillment that would come when the Holy Spirit would come in his fullness. And so he says things like, you know, um, if you're going to insist on going on living by this law and you want to do this, it's going to be really, really hard. <laughs> Like, if you're going to put people under a scrutiny and you yourselves are going to be put under that same scrutiny, nobody's going to measure up. You're always going to be falling short. But there's going to come a time that we'll understand that this law has been pointing us to someone that brings us freedom. And he's actually fulfilling that law. He's culminating everything in it. And when we trust him to do that, when we trust him to actually do the shaping and the changing of our lives, it's a whole different ballgame, you guys. There isn't some fragile precipice that we're reaching up to God to seize him and get hold of him. And we're not even like going to the depths to try and find him there and get hold of him so that we have God and we have the handle on God. And that seems all pretty easy. But I wonder how we do that. How God, when he comes to us and he, he shows us our freedom and he gives it to us and we begin walking in it and pretty soon we go, ugh, but what if? What could, what could cause something to be different? And we're going to look at verses 9 through 13 and we're going to camp a lot there. And the reason we're going to camp there is because the end of the book or the chapter is a lot of another rebuttal of kind of like, well, when did 
when did we ever learn this? When did we ever see this? And he actually goes and he starts quoting Isaiah and Joel back to the people, words that they would have known, where he says things like, you know, I'm going to actually make you jealous of a nation that's different than you, and they're going to get it. And I'm actually going um, to go and meet these people that aren't even asking, and it's going to make you kind of crazy. He prophes- there's prophecies about this, and yet they missed it. And instead, they were met with, he was, the prophets were often met with very, very defiant, disobedient people going, nope, that's not the way it's going to be. We got the handle on this God. We know who he is. And so I want us to, to camp in verses 9 through 13. And these are actually some of the verses that Kyle was talking about when he said that this is a part of the um, scriptures that have always been very divisive in the church throughout all of church history. And honestly, I wrestled with settling here because I'm like, I don't want to wrestle with that. Like, that's not fun. I don't want to talk about what divides us. I want to talk about how awesome these guys are (laughs) and how good it is. But sometimes, even like Abby said before, our blind spots need a little bit of light shed on them. And we can miss some things. So let's read and see what it says and see what it might say for us. It says here, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Seems pretty easy, right? What's, what's controversial about that? How's that going to divide people? And then it says, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. So believing with the heart, there's no law. It's faith and trust that comes from the heart. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And that's basically saying, like, I'm trusting this. I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting that the salvation process has begun. And then he says, now the scripture says, and that would have been a key for the Jewish believers. They would have been, oh, okay, he's talking from the Old Testament here. He's quoting one of our forefathers. And he says here, now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. And then again, he quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And you might think, well, why do I want to camp here? Like, we don't really classify ourselves as Jews and Gentiles anymore because we're all Gentiles in this room, I think, or for the most part. And yet, I want to camp here because I believe, and I've seen, and I've experienced not just here, but at many of my church experiences. I've been in doing church life and ministry life for some 30 years um, in a ministry role, and before that was brought up and raised in the church itself. And I've seen little dividing things begin to come up between the body. And I've seen things that when they're not nipped in the bud and they're not dealt with and they're swept under a rug, become things that destroy entire communities. And this is one of those things that can happen. And so maybe, I just want to give you some background as to why I'm tracking that way. Maybe you've been at Summerfest or some other festival and you've seen a person out on a corner with a bullhorn. 
And what are they usually saying? They're saying all sorts of stuff, but oftentimes they're quoting this very verse. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, 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 right? Or maybe they've come to your doorstep or maybe they've come to you on a beach and they're canvassing the area and they're coming and they say things like, um, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Do you know you can know that you can go to heaven? And then they would quote this verse many times. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then they go back and they report <laughs> on all the people that said yes to that. And I am not here to judge whether any of those times for those professions of salvation were made. I am not here to judge whether or not it's stuck or whether or not those people are really saved. That's not what I'm here to talk about this morning. But there is something that concerns me about this. And what concerns me is, I think it's a really truncated, short-sighted, cheapened grace view of things. Because I think God wants to do so much more than have us just give mental assent and sign a dotted line. And so many times we get in this contract mindset and we go, oh, oh, that's all I have to do. I just confess with my mouth, believe in my heart, sign the dotted line, and I'm owed something. That's a contract, right? Like, so I did this, I said this, I get eternal life. Done deal. And that is really short of what God has for us. And it concerns me. It concerns me because I've seen people take this and then say things like making it from a contract to even a more legal form format and saying, okay, it's kind of like this. See, you're a sinner. You're a bad person. And that's where they start with how bad we are. And Jesus needed to come and convince the judge, who's God the Father, that you're really not that bad. And in fact, he's, he's such a good lawyer, he even took on the punishment himself and said, I'm going to let you off the hook now. And we walk in that. And that's all we look at with our salvation. And I'm going, guys, that's just a little teeny part of it, and it's not even right in so many ways. It's just not. And we're cheapening it, and we're shortening it. See, because God didn't come to destroy you because you're bad. He came because he loves you, and he made you that way from the very beginning. Moses was even pointing to it and saying, like, it's within you. My image is in you. And we sell it so short. And we think that somehow we got to earn this. And, and we, we get this in our mind that it's like, okay, well, God did this, and so now I better behave so he doesn't change his mind. Because what happens if the contract gets broken? And what happens, if, what happens if the acquittal gets revoked? And, you know, all those laws that we were pointing at before, we start going, okay, well, okay, here's the line. How close can I get? 
can I put my foot halfway over and am I still okay? Or does the acquittal get revoked? Does the contract get breached? And you, we can laugh at that sometimes and we can think, well, that's not us. Look at us, we're pretty inclusive. Look at all these people, we all think differently. We're okay, we're good. And I would say, where do we do this? Maybe it's in how we view our politics. And we go, yep, God loves you. But you really need to start thinking more like this. If you really want fully in, you better start thinking more like this. You better toe the line here. You better toe the line there. Or maybe it's our sexuality. And we go, first off, we try to start looking for loopholes. And we go, well, technically, God, like, what is sex? And I think God goes, seriously, come on. And you go, well, what, what's too much? What's too little? Who can I love? Who can't I love? And we start writing new rules and new laws. And we let them get heavy. And then we start putting them on the backs of those we sit with. And we go, if you would just think a little bit more this way, and we don't even realize that when we do that, it's binding us right back up. The very freedom that we've been called into. We're going, I kind of like the rules. <laughs> and we put them back around our own ankles. And then it's not comfortable being there, so we add it to somebody else. And we say, you need to think like this, and you need to act like this. And the weight gets heavier and heavier. And it saddens me because we've assented to something, mentally assented, said, yep, I believe, I understand, and that's where it ends. And we don't allow the Holy Spirit in all its fullness to come and to begin to change us and to teach us what it is to walk in the very freedom that he's called us to. And so he says to us, and I believe he says to us, it's not about a contract. What I'm calling you to is a covenant. And covenant is a word that the Old Testament people would understand, the Jewish people would definitely understand. And if you'll remember um, what a covenant was, many times when two parties were entering into a covenant, there would be an actual um, animal sacrifice. They would cut an animal in half and they would place the two halves, one over here and one over here. And then they, would get, then they would together walk through the middle of it. And what they were saying by that, what that was symbolizing, is they were actually saying, if I break this covenant with the one that I'm making it with, may I be as this animal. May I be dead like this animal. And God is saying, I want to be in a covenant with you, a covenant that I've invited you into since the very beginning of time that includes Father, Spirit, and Son. We're operating in it all the time. And I'm not angry with you. I'm angry with things that come between us. That's what I came to destroy. I did not come to destroy you. I came to destroy the things that get between us. I want you to have full access and so often we go, nope, I want my contract. I'm going to tie my ankles back up. 
And it doesn't make sense, but we do it. We do it because we revert back to that contract thinking. And he's going, no, enough, enough. And I just want you to hear a few things about covenants versus contracts. Because when we lose sight of that, that's when we begin to judge one another. That's when we begin to go, ah. And please don't say you don't judge anyone because I tried to do that this week as I was preparing and it doesn't work. <laughs> we do, we do. When you're judging somebody, it's somebody that you might be saying like, uh, you know, I love that person, but. Or it makes me crazy when. Or if only they would stop doing that. And we become the judge. And we judge people according to our new laws. And a contract that we would look at is a legal deal between two people. But a covenant is a commitment involving the life of both parties. Do you hear the difference? Contract is a legal deal between two parties. A covenant is a commitment involving the life of both parties. When a contract's broken, what do we do? We go, well, they broke the contract, I get this. It's all about my self-interest. A covenant, we're actually walking into it and going, you know what, I'm gonna choose to put the other person ahead of me. And to say, I actually wanna live my life in a way that honors them. That's where this whole sanctification stuff is coming in, you guys. It's actually when our hearts can be softened and changed and we look to the other and we go, I have your best interest. I got your back. I love you. A co contract is also about acquiring something. I do this, I do this, I get this. Right? That's what a contract pretty much is, right? We sign a contract with a contractor who's going to do our kitchen and we say, this is going to happen, I've signed the deal, I've given you the money, this is what I get. And if you break it, you get penalized. And a covenant is other-oriented. And says, even when <laughs> there's times that I need to set myself aside, I will do that because I've covenanted to you. And I'm actually more about your best interest than my self-interest. And so this morning, we're going to do things differently. I already alluded to that a little bit. Because I want us to think about this whole contract. And you might be thinking, oh, Bruce City doesn't do that. And I've already pointed out some ways that maybe we do. And there's probably lots of others. And I know this week as I sat with this, I didn't want to sit with it. <laughs> I wanted to like just, like, can't I just tell them how awesome they are? I love them. Can't I just like cheer them on? Do I really have to ask him to look inside? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, but not before you do it too. And so I've sat with it. And I want us to just do that this morning. I want us to spend some time, and I'm going to ask Abby to come up in a few minutes, and she's going to lead us through some time of prayer as the worship team leads us through song. And we're actually going to do a little bit more interacting, kind of like the, the house churches would have done. And we're going to wrestle with this a little bit. And we're going to let the Spirit work a little bit. 
and we're going to invite him to do so. We're going to invite him to do things like convict us of some things. And that's not a bad thing, you guys. All he's doing is going, ugh, he's pointing out that blind spot. The Holy Spirit does that sometimes, right? He points out those blind spots that you go, oh, I didn't think about that. And he points it out and he goes, but now you know. And I love you. And I'm with you. And we're in covenant together. And when you're in covenant with me, the, the Spirit says, the Father, Son, and Spirit, you're in covenant with all of them. And you're also in covenant with his people. Those that he calls his own those that have said, yes, I'm going to trust that your process of salvation is at work in me. And we sit together and yet little things start to rise up between us. And so we're going to spend some time sitting with the Spirit and just asking Him, where have I done that? Where have I let those little things crawl up that I still put around my own ankle because for some reason I think it's better? And then I take it and I put it on other people. Convict me. Show me that. Make my blind spots, like, put them out in the open. Shed light on them so they're no longer a blind spot. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about the people around us. Because maybe some of those very things are the things we've said, and just when you think you're free, here's some new laws. Here's some new rules to follow. And we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. But sometimes we're fully aware. When people don't think like us, or don't respond the same way we do, or don't act the same way we do, or don't vote the same way we do. And we begin to put those laws on people's shoulders. And then we're going to spend a little time, and I really want you to think about this, and I know it's not comfortable. <laughs> This message, honestly, wasn't all comfort <laughs> for me either. But sometimes God calls us to do some rough things, some hard things, because in the end, it'll free us up even more. And so sometimes he puts people in our mind, and we don't even have to think very long. They're already there. People that we know we've done this to, and we've maybe wronged them in some way. And we actually need to get on our feet, walk over to them, Put our arm around them and just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And a path of healing begins. And that sanctification, that salvation process continues. And it's beauty and we walk into more and more freedom. But when we resist and we say no and we go into this contractual thinking, we actually bind ourselves back up. And it can be painful. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have Abby come up and the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in a time. And I just ask that you dig in. Go where it's uncomfortable. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into it and know that you are loved in the midst of it. None of it, anything that comes up in prayer, does not negate the Father's love for you. It's because of his love for you. It's his kindness that actually leads us to repentance. And repentance is just turning and saying, yes, I want to be with you, God. I want to live like you want me to live. I want to live like Jesus you lived. You personified it for us. And you empower us through the Holy Spirit. So Bruce City Church, 
I love you. And I believe with all of my heart that I echo the heart of the Father to you when I say, I love you. And you can look into a face of a friend. And sometimes friends cheer us on, and sometimes they point out those blind spots. So this morning, Spirit, we welcome you. And we say, come and have your way. Have your way in our hearts because we know that you are motivated by love and that you don't look down on us and see a dirty, ugly, yucky thing. You look down on us with a Father's heart that loves us beyond measure and anything that gets in the way of that, that's what you don't love. That's what you want to move and destroy, remove and destroy. You don't want to destroy us. So we can come to you and we can even do something that that convicts us and moves us and causes us to move our feet because we can trust you. Because a contract is built on mistrust, but a covenant is built on trust. And so we say, have your way, Holy Spirit. We trust you. Amen.